Welcome to episode 242 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, Observing in the Toy Box Constellations. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. Have you ever heard about the celestial toy box of constellations, Shane? <laughs> I was about to say, what the heck is a celestial toy box of constellations, Chris? So, so no, I haven't. <laughs> so I, I always thought this was a really brilliant idea, and I can't remember whether it was in one of the astronomy magazines or it was just an online article or maybe a post somebody had made on an online forum. Um, and I remember looking and looking and looking and finding it once. And uh, somebody had written this article. I, I can't recall who it was. And I did do a quick search trying to find it again. But they, they talked about observing in the summer toy box. And so um, what, what this is referring to is... Um, the little constellations that are up in the summer triangle. These are uh, Volpecula, Sagitta, Delphinus, and uh, Coolies. Um, so we call this the summer toy box, or that author called it the summer toy box. And uh, I can't remember or not, but I think Lyra or Lyra might have been thrown in uh, as it's also small in stature. Um, but this idea never caught on. But I, I think it's brilliant because the main patterns in all of these um, constellations will actually fit in. Um, my Nikon uh, 7x35, 9.3 degree uh, field of view binoculars. So you can actually um, fit each of the main patterns of these constellations, like sort of one at a time. Mm -hmm. um, the full pattern will actually fit in a very wide field 7x35 bino. I think that's super cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is really neat. Um, whenever, like using, um, our little, like two by 50 binoculars on some of the larger constellations is amazing, you know, to, mm -hmm. to frame an entire constellation, but have a little optical aid. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. You can do this as well with like our, uh, our, our 50 millimeter Borgs in, in two inch mode. We'll, we'll do this as well. So, mm. um, yeah, just kind of a neat thing. I was out last night after the moon came up, I, I kind of gave this uh, a bit of a world. Now that's just for seeing the whole, uh, these whole little individual constellations. But if you want to see like the planetary nebulae or globular clusters or, or some of the other things uh, in there, it's probably going to be best to use um, like a, at least a, a, a small little telescope, like around a 60 or 70 millimeter, we start to show some of these other objects, but uh, it's just kind of cool to be able to kind of, you know, scan in amongst them. And in particular, like from the city, I've enjoyed doing that just to kind of be able to sort of pick, pick them out um, because they tend to be uh, not only small, but actually, uh, you know, rather faint stars. I think the stars that make up these constellations all hang out at around, uh, you know, uh, fourth magnitude, maybe uh, Delphinius is uh, a little bit brighter. I think it's got a couple stars in, into the third magnitude or so. Um, but the rest of them are, are, uh, anyway, none of them are very bright constellations. Mm -hmm. All right. So we talked about the summer triangle in the past and sort of, this is in a way kind of like the anti-summer triangle because the summer triangle, of course, is made up of the constellations, um, or the brightest stars in the constellations of, uh, Cygnus with Deneb, the brightest star there. Um, we have Vega and Lyra, and then we have Altair and Aquila. And then when you connect those, you have this huge summer triangle, um, which form, um, you know, the basis for a lot of uh, people's orientation to, to the summer night sky. Well, this is kind of like the antithesis of it. You have sort of the dimmest stars in the smallest constellations, um, sort of which run perpendicular to that. Um, and it runs right across the, uh, the Milky Way. So um, let's see. 
Um, I'm going to skip down because we're trying to keep these short. So maybe what I'll do is is I'll start by talking about uh, Volpecula, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then we'll kind of pass it back and forth. So I'm going to start at Alberio because that's a star that many people are going to be familiar with. And if if you're not if you're not familiar with Alberio, you should just go and look at Alberio first because that's uh, you know, something that you should just become probably more familiar with than these obscure constellations. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and just just say, start with Alberio, which is the uh, the bottom of the Northern Cross of Cygnus. It's that bottom star, and it's a uh, it's a beautiful double, isn't it? It's, it's what like a, it's like a blue and a yellow star. Am I remembering that correctly? You're more the double star observer. Yeah, yeah. the The dimmer companion is blue, and then the brighter one would be kind of a yellow to orange, uh, depending mm-hmm. on your eye. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful. It's uh, you really see the color contrast, and it's uh, it's something that I look at dozens of times every year. Yeah. So if you have a binocular that gives you um, just over a nine degree field of view, like my seven by thirty fives do, you can put Alberio in the top of that field. And that's going to place um, Answer, um, which is the brightest star in Volpecula, fairly close to the center of your field of view. And uh, if your binoculars aren't 9.3 degrees, then it's, it's still going to be the case because I think it's only about uh, maybe three and a half or three and three quarters degrees uh, due south. That is Answer from, uh, from Alberio. Um, but again, if, if you have those wider binoculars that are over nine degrees, then you'll be able to fit uh, 13 volpecula on one side and one volpecula on the other, and that forms um, that main uh, that main pattern. And volpecula is uh, is referred to as the uh, little fox, um, but Answer was originally you can see there's like a couple stars around Answer, um, but Answer was originally seen as as a goose that was in the fox's mouth. Hmm. Okay, which is kind of neat, but uh, yeah. alas, I suppose it was eventually swallowed by Volpecula. Um, let's see. In 1967, the first pulsar that was ever detected um, was detected in Volpecula by Jocelyn Bell. Now, of course, you can't see that, um, but some of the other things that you can see, which are pretty cool, is the coat hanger cluster is right in Volpecula, just off of, uh, just sort of between. Uh, one Volpecula and uh, sort of the quill section of uh, Sagitta the Arrow. And then um, just uh, about a degree and a half, maybe two degrees um, southeast of 13 Volpecula. On the other side is the Dumbbell Nebula. And so that's uh, that's how you can sort of use Volpecula to, to find a couple of those uh, sort of prominent uh, summer objects. So the coat hanger cluster, going back to that, is uh, is a grouping of stars. It's not really a cluster, and in binoculars, it looks just like a coat hanger. It's super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, it's one of those again rare objects where the name is a very good descriptor. <laughs> yeah, it was probably discovered by Al Sufi in uh, in the 900 AD uh, range of of time. And then there's a bunch of other open clusters in and around there. There's one right off the coat hanger, uh, NGC 6802. Uh, Mike was talking about how beautiful that looked in his 12 inch the other day. And then uh, there's a couple, uh, you know, up towards 13 Volpecula, NGC 6830 and 6823. But we're not going to dive too far into those um, because, uh, well, we're trying to uh, get down to Aquila the Eagle. So, Shane, do you want to sort of take it away uh, with Aquila or sorry, with uh, 
I'm not going to Delphinus. No, we're going to go to Sajida. My apologies. Okay. Okay. Uh, just give me a moment here. Yeah. So you can start with many binoculars show. Okay. Why don't you carry on? I okay. Let's head to uh, binocular field southeast towards uh, Sajida, the arrow. So many binoculars will show uh, the entire constellation. And uh, it's really useful. I find actually going to Sajida is is more helpful in finding like the coat hanger and the dumbbell because I use those uh, two quill stars, the, the two stars in the sort of back of the arrow uh, to kind of point up. And if you go up and then you have a binocular, um, the coat hanger will land in the field of view somewhere. And the same off of the uh, sort of the pointy part of the arrow. Um, if you kind of go about half a binocular field up from there, you'll get to uh, the dumbbell. And uh, a Sajida is one of those, I don't know why I want to call it Aquila, but the Sajida is one of those constellations that kind of looks like... Um, like like what it's meant to depict, it kind of does look a little bit like an arrow, don't you think? Yeah, it does. It's kind of long and narrow. Um, you know, it gets a little wider kind of at the back end where I guess the, like the feathers would be on a arrow to guide it. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it definitely looks like one. And there's a couple of neat uh, objects that are in there. One of them is uh, M71, which is a, uh, a, a very loose globular cluster. For a long time, M71 was seen as a, uh, as a as an open cluster, but it's just uh, sort of halfway between um, you know the middle brighter stars, uh, Delta uh, Sagitte and, and Gamma Sagitte. And then uh, just in the same field of at, uh, view as M71, even in a telescope, um, if you have like a like a six inch or, or larger telescope, you can start to discern uh, Harvard 20, um, which is a very uh, sort of loose, uh, open cluster there, which is, uh, yeah, which is kind of neat. Have you ever looked at Harvard 20? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah. well, maybe, maybe it was there and I just really never took note of it. Um, but yeah, I don't, not, no, it's, it's certainly not in my logs. Yeah. Pairs of stuff. That would be a good episode too. Cause you could do, uh, mm -hmm. the coat hanger and then the open cluster that's there. You could do these two, you could do, uh, you know, the uh, lagoon and the Triffid regions, yeah, M17, uh, M16. Yeah, lots of good little pairs of uh, things that you can see in, in the summer sky. Yeah, so sure. if we continue if we continue to pan down towards the southeast, we'll eventually get to Delphinus or Delphinus. I've heard it pronounced a lot of different ways. I've even heard it pronounced as Delphinius. Hmm. There's not another I in there. So I don't know where people are getting that. It's supposed to be a dolphin. Gene, does this look like a dolphin to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I can kind of see it, but this is one of those, you know, we just talked about how the coat hanger looks like its name. I'm not mm. really feeling the dolphin on this one. How about you? I think it should be called not the little dipper. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think, I think if I had a dollar for every time I've been asked by a beginner or some, not even a beginner, but just like a member of the public when we're doing astronomy that that's looked up from a dark sky for the first time we're looking in this region. Uh, everybody assumes that's the little dipper because that's kind of what it looks like. It kind of looks like a, a little dipper of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. It's got kind of that long handle with sort of yeah. the ladle aspect to it for sure. Yeah. The ladle on it's more of a, more of a diamond shape though. And for, for reasons that don't quite seem to be known, uh, sometimes that diamond shaped uh, 
pattern is called Job's coffin. Or do you know why it might be called Job's coffin? I don't know the history, but I've heard it referred to that many times. Um, but yeah, not sure why. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't really see that as the thing I see. I see it more as like a little bit of a, a dipper pattern. But uh, let's see. Um, it lies in a super rich region of the Milky Way. And so there's all kinds of different stuff in there, but a lot of it's relatively faint. So, you know, in, in like a five inch refractor or an eight inch uh, Dobsonian, that's where you're really going to start to be able to see some of this stuff uh, quite well. Like you have uh, NGC 891, which is a planetary nebula that's about 10 and a half magnitude and 6905, which is the blue flash nebula, uh, planetary nebula. And definitely that's worth taking a look. Um one of the uh, better globular clusters to to see in this region is uh, it's quite nice. I've hunted this down with my uh, five inch a few times, six nine three four, and uh, it's pretty far away, one hundred eighty five thousand light years. Um, NGC seven thousand six is an eleven half magnitude um, globular that's in the farthest reaches of the Milky Way. And uh, let's see. So if we keep moving down to the southeast, we'll get to the little faint Aquiles, which is. Uh, the little horse, and it's the uh, second smallest constellation, and indeed, it's tiny. Did you ever hunt down Aquiles? <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, I, I'll be real honest; like, I'm not familiar with any objects in that area. So, this is interesting. Yeah, so you'll need a decent scope. I think probably you're looking at a 12-inch scope to start to see. I, I don't mm. actually know if I've looked at any deep sky objects in Aquiles, but I did, I did look at all these constellations last night in my binoculars mm -hmm. and, uh, and I could fit Aquiles in my binoculars, but I was looking at it just after moonrise. The moon was up maybe 10, 12 degrees. Okay. And, uh, I could barely see the stars of Aquiles <laughs> and the moon's not even full. It's like about, you know, 70% or 75%. Oh, wow. And so the stars of Aquiles are, are pretty faint. I think uh, some of them are around like fifth magnitude or so. So um, it's not super bright, but I could see the whole constellation quite well in my binoculars. And uh, yeah, it's kind of just neat to be able to kind of frame all those. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of galaxies, NGC 7015, 7040, 7041, uh, sorry, 7045 and 7046. Um, but here's what would be of interest to you, Shane, is there's a whole pile of double stars. In fact, like when I was looking through this and I'm not a, much of a double star observer, mm -hmm. I think just about every star in Aquiles is some sort of double like gamma mm -hmm. uh, Aquiles consists of a primary star. It's a magnitude 4.7 has a secondary star of 11.6 only separated by two arc seconds. Epsicon, uh, Epsilon Aquiles is a triple star. Um, one Aquiles is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a series of stars as well. Um, and it has a primary of 5.4 and then has components of 6 and 6.3. And they have periods of 101 years. Um, there's another component up there that's 7.4, visible in small telescopes. And, and the list just goes on and on and on. So if somebody really wants to hunt double stars, they should really land in, a, in a Aquiles and start picking them out. Because double stars that are in like the fourth to... Uh, you know, 10th magnitude range, even if they're tight is, uh, is fine hunting for people with like four inch refractors or eight inch, uh, Dobsonians. Eh? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at Aquiles in the pocket sky Atlas and, uh, yeah, there's easily, I would say around 10 or 12, uh, doubles that just jump out on this star chart. Um, so yeah, that's pretty rich. 
Cool. Anything to add to our little tour through the celestial toy box? (laughs) No, but it was interesting. Like I said, at the start, I wasn't aware of the toy box, but it's kind of a neat way to look at these little constellations. And, and a lot of these ones don't really like, at least for me, don't often get much attention. So um, yeah, it's kind of neat to, to revisit some of these and like a coolies is one that I've never even thought of looking at. So uh, add something new to the list double star hunting ground fine region yeah so thanks for humoring me on this one shane thanks for uh, listening uh, everybody out there and uh yeah i mean that's one of the advantages of a short episode if uh, this wasn't for you then uh, you can just bear with it for 10 more minutes and then you're all good okay with that we will uh, we will conclude um thanks everybody for listening be sure to subscribe we're always excited to get observing emails to actualastronomy at gmail.com Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.